1: What is going to work for the Democratic Party? Work in the sense of getting more voters to choose the color blue and then stay there beyond the 2018 midterms all the way into 2020. Well, some say that the Democrats need to swing more to the left, to the kinds of ideas and promises that under the rubric of progressive populism set the party up as standing for game-changing policies like Medicare for All or tuition-free public education or a guaranteed federal jobs program. But hold on, others say, including a lot of Democrats, those are promises that cannot possibly or reasonably be kept, and they may sound so radical to so many that they will push more voters away than they will pull in. Better, they say, to let Dems stay close to the center and let the Republicans look like the outliers. Who is right? Well, let's find out, because we think this has the makings of a debate. Yes or no to this statement? Progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. I'm John Donvan, and I stand between two teams of two thinkers on this topic who will argue for and against that resolution. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience here at the Kay Playhouse at Hunter College in New York City will vote to choose the winner. And if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Our resolution is progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. We have one team arguing for that resolution. Let's meet them, starting with, welcome, Corinne Jean-Pierre. Thanks. Corrine, welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S. You are senior advisor and national spokesperson for MoveOn.org. You're also a lecturer at Columbia School of International and Public Affairs. Before that... Uh, You were in the White House under President Obama. You worked on both of his presidential campaigns. You were a campaign manager for the ACLU's Initiative on Reproductive Freedom. And most recently, the deputy campaign manager for Martin O'Malley for president. That is a lot of political experience. (laughs) You have credited your career and your success to your parents. Absolutely. Why Why is that? Uh,
2: My parents are from Haiti. They are immigrants. They came here decades ago. At the time, Haiti was a dictatorship and they wanted the american dream they had heard about the american dream and so they ended up here in new york city grew up in, in new york and they've worked so hard and their heart and determination their love for this country and the country where they were born really gave me the fuel to do everything that i've done and because of them i still continue the work that i do through move on gary jean pierre thanks
1: and your partner is Jeff Weaver. Jeff, welcome to Intelligence Squared. Thank you. You are a longtime advisor to Senator Bernie Sanders. When he ran for president in 2016, you were his campaign manager. Um, you also managed his Senate election campaign in 2006. You are the author of a new book called How Bernie Won Inside the Revolution That's Taking Back Our Country and Where We Go From Here. It came out in May. Jeff, Bernie didn't win. Um, so,
3: what do you mean when you say he won? Well, Bernie did win. If you look, Medicare for All is now supported by 80% of Democrats and 52% of Republicans. The minimum wage is being raised to $15 all over this country. People are talking about free college, free tuition of public colleges and universities. And we're having a debate like this tonight, and this is a testament to how Bernie won. Thank you very much, Jeff Weaver. Again, our resolution is progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. We have two debaters
1: arguing against it. Please welcome Jonathan Cowan. John, you have over 25 years of experience at senior levels of politics and government. You are a Democratic press secretary in Congress. You were chief of staff at the Department of Housing and Urban Development during the Clinton administration. You're here tonight most specifically, though, because you're the co-founder and president of a moderate Democratic think tank called Third Way. Tell the moderator what moderate means to you. <laughs>
4: Moderate Democrat, to me, means a commitment to bold, modern ideas and a willingness and a conviction to think
1: outside the blue bubble. Thank you, John Cowan. And you also have a partner uh, in this debate, Stephen Ratner. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Stephen Ratner. Stephen, welcome back to Intelligence Squared. You've debated with us before. It's wonderful to have you back. You are chairman and CEO of Willett Advisors and an economic analyst for MSNBC. You also have a lot of experience in politics. Uh, You were counselor to the Secretary of the Treasury, President Obama's Carzar. You defended the motion last time you were with us. Obama's economic policies are working effectively. That was back in 2009, nine years ago. So under President Trump, are we still feeling the effects of Obama's policies?
5: You know, it's so interesting to think back to 2009 and the idea that that was actually a debatable subject because I think the last nine years would eliminate any debate as to whether his policies were effective. And if you need any proof of that, Donald Trump is trying to take credit for it pretty much every day.
1: All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Ratner and the team arguing <laughs> against the motion. Let's move on to debate. Debate begins with round one. Those are opening statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first for the motion, progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. Here is Jeff Weaver, senior political advisor to Senator Bernie Sanders. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Weaver.
3: Every day we are reminded that in many ways our country is on the edge of a knife. And we can slide either way. I think all of us recognize the great harm that Trump is doing in this country, the type of hateful rhetoric he's injecting into our country, and the way he is changing the mindset of so many people in this country toward a more a divisive mentality. We are confronting something that our allies confronted in Western Europe in the 1930s in Europe, and they failed in their attempt to strike down ultra-nationalism and xenophobia and racism, and we cannot afford to fail. What does that mean? That means we have got to galvanize the American people, the grassroots of the American people, we've got to unify the American people and create a country that, as Bernie says, that government and an economy that works for everyone. Um, I think you will see that not only is the sort of neoliberal corporatist view incapable of confronting and defeating Trump, but in many ways is responsible for its rise in this country. Our great party, the Modern Democratic Party, was born in the crucible of the New Deal, FDR, came into power at a time of great economic calamity, as all of you know. It was a worldwide depression. And against great opposition from Republicans, from business interests, and frankly, from many inside the Democratic Party, put together a coalition, created Social Security, created workers' rights, created dominance by Democratic politics in this country for decades, this Grand New Deal coalition. And our job is to rebuild that Grand Coalition. This cannot be a party of only upper-middle-income people of only well-to-do suburbanites. This has got to be a party that represents also working-class people and marginalized communities. And what those people understand is that we have big problems in this country and we need bold solutions. And the solutions that are being offered by people in the sort of progressive populist camp are not unrealistic or undoable if we have the political will and live in the richest country in the history of the world. All of our Western democratic allies have universal health care. We do not. We used to have free tuition at public colleges and universities in this country, and we have lost it. Uh, The value of the minimum wage has degraded over time. Uh, Working people need to have a decent standard of living. So uh, we have got to energize and excite people. And what has happened is, after this period of dominance, we had the Reagan revolution, and then a group of folks came along and said, the problem with the Democratic Party is we're not really enough in the pocket of Wall Street and financial interests, and if we do that... We can really win. And they did win. In 1992, Bill Clinton won with 43% of the vote. It was a three-way race, as people may remember. Then he went down a path of neoliberal economics. We had NAFTA. We had most-favored-nation status with China. And we destroyed the relationship between the Democratic Party and its historic working-class base in this country. In 1994, we lost the House of Representatives for the first time since 1952. Seeing that kind of loss and the disconnection between working-class people and the party, they turned to a very ugly set of policies. DOMA, who attacked the LGBT community. Welfare reform, which was a pared-down version of Reagan's welfare queen. Uh, The crime bill created mass incarceration in this country. We forget that Bill Clinton and Joe Biden are the fathers of mass incarceration in America. And since then, we have been trying to find our way. And in 2016, the grassroots of this party said, no more, we want to stand up, We want to reclaim our New Deal heritage. We want to be the dominant party in this country again for decades to come. We want to bring people together and not divide them up. We have got to serve the interests of working people, marginalized communities, and not the rich and the powerful. At the end of this process. Thank you, Jeff Weaver. The resolution, again, progressive
1: populism will save the Democratic Party. And here to make his opening statement against the motion, please welcome Jonathan Cowan, co-founder and president of Third Way. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Cowan. We are all excited about the new generation of candidates
4: hailing from all ideological wings. Young people, women, and people of color are adding dynamism and diversity to the Democratic Party. The evidence is overwhelming that populist ideas will not help Democrats. They might look good on a bumper sticker. But when voters hear about the details, support crumbles. Take their centerpiece idea, Medicare for All. In 2016, the purple state of Colorado had a Medicare for All-style initiative on the ballot. It was decimated. 79% voted no. It lost in liberal Boulder. Now, I admit, During these midterm general elections, there have been lots of Medicare for All ads on the air. They're not being aired by Democrats. They're being aired by Republicans. As attack ads, the GOP knows that if they can label every Democrat as a backer of Medicare for All, as well as other far-left ideas, like abolishing ICE, they can retain the House. Their signature ideas are politically potent for Republicans. And Democratic voters agree. 23 million people just voted in the Democratic primaries. They were our most energized and committed voters, turning out in historic numbers. And most of them voted for the more mainstream Democrat and against the Democratic Socialist. Yes, there were notable exceptions. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib won by running inspired races in cobalt blue districts. But mainstream Democrats won almost everywhere else. And if candidates carrying these ideas can't win primaries, that agenda clearly has no chance of delivering victories in a general election. Democratic primary voters in Virginia had to choose between Ralph Northam and Tom Perriello, a talented former congressman, proudly embraced a populist agenda, and even featured Bernie in his ads. Northam ran as a proud moderate. Northam crushed him by 12 points and went on to easily win the general election. That Virginia win, by a moderate, kicked off the primary season. Andrew Cuomo's resounding victory over Cynthia Nixon marked the last. With a handful of exceptions, primaries in the 48 states in between delivered similar results. So remember, you're not saying that democratic socialist ideas and the candidates carrying them can win in Queens. You're saying that these populist ideas can win and save the Democratic Party everywhere. 23 million Democratic primary voters just weighed in. Most of them vote no. I hope you'll do the same.
1: Jonathan Cowan, co-founder and president of Third Way, arguing against the resolution, progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. We'll have more opening statements when we come back. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion. Progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. Debating for the resolution, here is Karine Jean-Pierre, senior advisor and national spokesperson for MoveOn.org, Karine Jean-Pierre.
2: Populism is defined as support for the concerns of ordinary people. Populism is not about right versus left, but it's about top versus bottom. How do we fight against a society that benefits the privileged, the elites? Now, there are many forms of populism. Donald Trump has his form of populism rhetoric, but his populism is right-wing, white nationalist populism. He chooses to divide using race, religion, immigration status, and gender. Progressive populism unifies and brings us all together. The late Senator Paul Wellstone used to say, we all do better when we all do better. We also have to talk about the power of systems that are created to benefit the privileged and the elites. And I'm talking about white supremacy. I'm talking about patriarchy, Islamophobia. What progressive populism does, it fights against that. It says no to that. Now, how do we move forward? My parents were immigrants. My dad was a New York City cab driver, my mom a home health care aide. The issues that matter to them also matter to their white working class counterparts. Progressive populism has solutions. Our solutions are actually incredibly popular. For example, Medicare for All. Lake Research did a survey back in April and asked voters in battleground ground congressional districts how they felt about Medicare for All. 54% strongly support Medicare for all. But I think the most interesting thing about that survey was that Democrats who are infrequent voters, it was more popular with them. And we also believe in the auto bailout, which was incredibly successful. Thank you, Steve Ratner. And it was a great example of how government, when they step into activism, can really help the markets. But now I want to talk about candidates. The first one is Beto O'Rourke. He's running in Texas. Donald Trump won Texas by nine points. Beto O'Rourke is authentic. He's fighting for the people. He's progressive. He's not taking PAC money. He's not taking corporation money. And he's doing really well in that race. Wendy Davis, who lost the governor's race a couple years ago by 20 points, said that she would run a more progressive campaign if she were to do it again. Andrew Gillum, incredibly progressive, making history and he came out in the general election, has been leading in all of the polls in Florida. Trump won that by one or two points. All the past Democratic candidates who were, who were in the middle have never done as well as he's doing right now. Look, it's not going to be up to us who are on stage that's going to decide what the Democratic Party is going to do. It's going to be up to activists and voters out across the country. And they're making it loud and clear. They want the Democratic Party to challenge status quo and to fight for the ninety-nine percent, not the one percent.
1: Thank you, Camille Jean-Pierre. It's a resolution. Progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. And here to make his statement against the motion. Please welcome Stephen Ratner, Chairman and CEO of Willet Advisors and former Counselor to the Secretary of the Treasury. Stephen Ratner.
5: I'm a Democrat and I consider myself a progressive and I consider myself as a fighter for the 99% as I think it should be defined. I believe that our tax system excessively favors the rich. I believe that income inequality in our country is at reprehensible levels and must be addressed. I believe that the federal government should lean in and try to solve the pressing problems of those who have been left behind. But I don't believe that endorsing policy ideas that are either unaffordable would somehow be good politics for the Democratic Party. There has not been a single Democratic president elected in our history espousing the kinds of policies that the proponents of this motion advocate. Not FDR, who ran in 1932 on a platform of balancing the budget. Not John F. Kennedy, who, by the way, cut taxes for the rich. Certainly not Bill Clinton. And not even Barack Obama, who Senator Sanders attacked as weak for not pushing more progressive policies. Then there are the losers. George McGovern, who carried just one state, and the District of Columbia in 1972. In 1984, Walter Mondale suffered exactly the same fate. All of us up here agree that the election of Donald Trump was one of the saddest days of our lifetime. And with an approval rating hovering around 43%, there's no way he should be reelected. But if we want to make the unimaginable imaginable, just nominate someone out of touch with the mainstream of this country. Remember that only 33% of Americans are even Democrats at all. The share of independents at 37% is the highest in 27 years. You've heard the suggestion that Bernie Sanders could have beaten Donald Trump. We'll never know, but we do know a few things. The fact that Democratic voters are increasingly concentrated geographically, particularly in big blue states like New York and California. So to win, we must reach out to more moderate voters in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, and in Wisconsin, three states that we never should have lost. You've heard turnout blamed for Secretary Clinton's loss, but at 60.1%, turnout was higher in 2016 than it was for Barack Obama's re-election in 2012. Now let's turn to policy. Guarantee a $15 an hour income to all, that would cost on the order of $680 billion annually. Expand Social Security? That sounds pretty good, until Americans understand that the trust fund is on track to go broke in 2034 and jeopardize the benefits that we've already promised. Make public colleges tuition-free, as Jeff suggested. It's a great goal for the underprivileged, but if any of my kids were to go to a public institution, I have no idea why they should get a free ride. Break up the big banks? That sounds appealing, although apparently not to Mr. Sanders' Senate colleagues, none of whom have signed on as co-sponsors of his bill. Abolish ICE, only 32% of voters want that, while 53% understand that immigration and customs service, albeit with reforms, is something that we need to have. I share the goals of the populace, but we should address the critical issues facing our nation by putting forward responsible, prudent policies that will attract the coalition of voters that we need to keep Donald Trump from another four years of destroying America. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Stephen Ratner, and that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters address one another directly, and they take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York City. What we seem to be hearing about is a dispute over how many voters will respond to the set of policies that are identified with progressive populism. The team arguing for the resolution, Karine Jean-Pierre and Jeff Weaver, they describe in this country a sense of emergency in the light of things like xenophobia and ultranationalism and racism. A between top and bottom. And in that framework, they say these are solutions that appeal to the bottom. Ideas like Medicaid for all, free public college tuition, abolishing ICE, housing as a human right. The team arguing against the resolution, Jonathan Cowan and Stephen Ratner, they identify themselves as progressives, but they say the problem is political reality. These ideas will scare the public. They look great on a bumper sticker, but in reality, voters will not go for them. They cite instance after instance where given the opportunity to either vote for these things they voted against or when put in place, they ultimately failed. And I want to take a question to you, Jeff Weaver, from something that your opponent said in that Democrats need to have moderates come into the tent. And it almost sounded as though they were saying that you and Kareen are arguing for appealing to the Democratic base and that the moderates...
3: You just can't get them. I want to see if I understand that correctly. That is not what we're saying. We had a hard-fought Democratic primary between Secretary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. And the evidence is pretty clear. I've seen a zillion polls in a zillion states. Bernie Sanders was winning rural Democrats, conservative Democrats, moderate Democrats. Secretary Clinton was doing much better with suburban Democrats who, on paper, look liberal because they are pro-choice, support that end of global warming, and so on and so forth. So the modeling that was done clearly showed that Bernie was winning the very voters that you were talking about in red places that were coming out overwhelmingly for Bernie Sanders, which is why he won in Oklahoma, he won in Kansas, he won in Nebraska, he won in Utah, he won in Idaho, and on and on it goes. And in fact, it is these voters that I'm arguing we need to bring back into the tent, working-class voters in red states This question about geographic concentration of democratic support is a very, very serious problem that we have in an electoral college system, and we need to broaden our support geographically. And the way you do that is by being unapologetically on the side of working people in these states, We all forget the the Midwest of this country used to be the center of progressive politics in this country. The plain states, we have lost touch with those people because the truth of the matter is that there are many people in that wing of the party who really don't like those people very much. Okay, Jeff, let
1: me break into let your opponents respond to some of what you said because you said a lot. John Cowan, Jeff is saying that those voters in the red states that you say would be driven away by these ideas would not be driven away.
4: Well, let me address that. But first, let me address the last comment you made, and maybe I misunderstood it. But if you're saying that I do not like a bunch of working-class voters, that's beyond offensive and ridiculous. I'm okay? sorry, I'm I've sorry you're I've devoted 25 years of my life to democratic policy and policymaking. The debate is not whether we feel or you feel more passionately about helping the struggling and working middle class of this country. question is this. Not whether people like your ideas. It's whether those ideas will win elections. And they don't win elections. That's just That's not the, true. I'm, I'm sorry. Not a, di- true. a different debate another night is the policy merits of them. Question is if Democrats run on your ideas, will they win? We just had not a poll. We just had an actual election of 23 million Democratic primary voters. And however you feel about Sanders and his ideas, whatever you feel about them, the result is unequivocal. Democratic primary voters chose candidates who are not
2: the passionate supporters okay. of your ideas. Let so- me bring in Kareen. There, there are currently in this election cycle, we do have some history makers running on progressive issues. They're running on issues that are actually popular I mentioned Andrew Gillum. That's amazing. This is Florida that we're talking about. And and he beat out, was it four or five centrist, millionaires, Democrats? And let's not forget Stacey Abrams, who could potentially make history, who has a history up, working across the aisle, which yes. is great, but She's literally running an
4: ad right now, labeling herself a pragmatic leader, and she I'm was attacked from the left. I'm just saying that we have
2: candidates in red states, not blue states, who are doing incredibly well, making these races competitive, and they're running on progressive issues. Okay. So-
5: Steve Ratner. Karine uses the word, there are some history makers. Some. I agree. There are some history makers. Unfortunately, they are a small number of history makers against a much larger group of examples, case after case after case, during this primary season in which the Democratic Party, before we even get to the rest of the electorate, but the registered Democrats chose the moderates. With respect to 2016, Senator Sanders has an appeal. That was not enough to get him to win. He lost the primaries... To Hillary Clinton by four million votes, if I remember correctly. Not that there aren't examples that uh, support your thesis, but they are a small number of examples. Right, but your
3: candidate could not beat Trump, and another candidate like that oh, candidate won't no, beat him in no, 2020. No, first of all, first of all, you have no way of knowing that. Number she two, didn't win. We no, know but, but that. But your no. candidate could beat our candidate. Yeah, he yeah, was
4: it could our candidate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he was at. Least, no, the question is, what's the future for the party? If the party continues to go with you guys, they will continue to but lose but to Trump But when you say if the and party worse.
4: continues to go with us guys. Guys, the last two Democrats to win the White House back-to-back were us guys. Your guy said our guy, Obama, was not progressive, and I know what he thinks of Bill Clinton. So our guys are the last two Democrats to win the White House twice back-to-back. Isn't that the
2: objective? And not just
5: the last two. I mean, give me an example of one Democrat who's won the White House going down your road. Nobody.
2: So I have to push back on Steve Ratner. MoveOn has endorsed more than 200 candidates across the country who are progressive candidates, who are diverse, who are in states like Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and they're running on a progressive message.
1: Let me take to John Cowan what I think I heard Karine just saying, is that these ideas that they will bring people out of the voting woodwork who have chosen to sit it out before. This need to reconnect with the working person, that they're disengaged, and that there was a coalition, there could be a coalition, that could be excited into voting for these ideas. Of course it's all speculative, but that's...
4: But this is actually, the point is, it's just speculative, let's go to political reality. So I'll give you two examples of political reality around this. Medicare for all. So if the thesis is... Medicare for All will energize all kinds of voters and win elections. Let's look at the general election advertising. Not one Democrat in the 84 competitive races is running an ad that says Medicare for All. So unless we think that all 84 of those Democrats are idiots and have no idea how to win their races, it means they took a hard look at it and they said, you know what? These ideas aren't going to win me elections. That's not how I'm going to win this fall. I want to let your yeah. opponents respond to some
3: yeah, of that. And I, you know, I've seen years. the polling that informs the DCCC's messaging on this. And let, let's be clear. I mean, DCCC, very hesitant about Medicare just for All. Just
1: for, for listeners who don't know this what is the...
3: Democratic d- Congressional Campaign Committee. is, It's the and arm of the Democratic Party, which supports House candidates, House of Representatives. Great. You know, I just think their advice is wrong, and it's borne out. 80% of Democrats in polls support Medicare for All, 52% of Republicans. How can you say that that is a losing issue. Andrew Gillum just won a primary in Florida against a bunch of millionaires on the issue of Medicare for All. You're
4: citing a poll. I'm citing an actual ballot initiative in Colorado for a Medicare for All system. It lost 79 to 21. It lost in Boulder, Colorado. Andrew Gillum is one. Forget polls that questions can be asked anyway. And by the way, Kaiser Foundation The gold standard on healthcare research and polling in the United States. Yes, a majority of people support it. And then the moment you start telling them anything about it, the support completely collapses. So instead of a theory, Bernie would have won but beaten Trump. Medicare would work if you did this. Let's look at the reality. They're not winning. I'll give you one other thing on the midterms, because this is really important. We can't redefine who is in the general election candidates. Of the 84 competitive races... Three-quarters of those folks have been endorsed either by the new Democrats in the House or the blue dogs, the conservative Democrats in the House. Just 4% have been endorsed by Justice Democrats and our revolution. Look at who's actually running. The people who won these races are moderate, mainstream Democrats, and they're the people who, God willing, are going to put a check on Trump and hand us back the House.
1: Can I put something else into the conversation? I want to be very careful about how I phrase this because I am not drawing comparison between the content of what Canada... That Trump put out there to the public with the ideas that the progressive side is putting out there, to the degree that they voted for him along with those ideas, that he went out and played the populist game and made big promises. Two years ago, political reality was that he could never get elected, and yet he pulled it off. So, what does that example show for your opponent's argument that big, sweeping, dangerous sounding ideas could actually have this impact on the electorate and pull off the unpredictable, even though no Democratic president ever ran on those ideas before? Steve Ratner.
5: Look, first of all, I don't know that Trump had very many big ideas. He had a slogan, make America great again. And it was actually quite brilliant, even though he stole it from Ronald Reagan.
1: No, but he pushed buttons. He pushed all kinds of you know, Ronald, buttons that
5: are... Kevin, look, the fact was, and is there are still huge numbers of Americans who've been left behind. When you look at median wages adjusted for inflation, when you particularly separate them out and look at what's happened to people toward the bottom, even during the Obama recovery, hard as President Obama tried to make it better for everybody, you had a large group of Americans who felt angry, who felt left out by the Democratic Party because it was worrying about a lot of other interest groups, or at least they perceived that to be the case, and they decided to vote for Donald Trump. It is almost without precedent, I think there are maybe two or three examples in 200 and some odd years, someone of the same party as an eight-year president succeeding because people like change. They want change after eight years. Clinton had three million more votes than Donald Trump anyway, but they were in not exactly the right places by 70,000 votes. And so you had a kind of perfect storm of events that caused him to be elected. Let me just say one thing about Medicare for all. Half of Americans get their health care from their employer. You say to them, you're going to lose your health care from your employer, and you're going to become part of government health care.
3: You think they're going to support that? Well, apparently, Elizabeth Warren thinks they do. Cory Booker thinks that they will. These are all people who are going to be running for president of the United States. Bernie Sanders thinks they will. Every senator, U.S. senator, who's thinking about running for president supports Medicare for all Not everyone. And I would
5: say that if one of those people gets nominated on that platform, we will lose, we'll have four more years of Donald Trump, and we will be deeply, deeply regretful about that. We will
2: will
3: only lose if the people who back your ideas and fund your ideas fold up their cards and go home like the Donald McGovern and at other times. If your wing of the party stands with the progressive nominee, we will Forget my we wing will of the party. Win. Forget my wing of the party. 33% of the country are
5: Democrats. How do you win an election, even if you get every single one of them, how do you win an election because without reaching half out? half of
3: millennials are independents. This old notion that it's Democrats, moderate independents, and Republicans on the right is that old, outdated notion that has no reflection in American politics. So There's a huge bunch particularly young people who are independents, who are over here. Those people don't vote for Republicans. The they right. go away.
1: Jeff Weaver, an advisor to Senator Bernie Sanders, arguing that progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. The stakes are high for the Democrats. The debate continues with questions from the audience. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. We have two teams debating this resolution. Will progressive populism save the Democratic Party? Now it's time for questions from the audience. Uh, point of fact here, it is true that 2016-2012, the voter turnout was around the same. However, in 2016, it was significantly down among people of color and among working people. Hillary Clinton was a centrist and was uh, from the Wall Street wing of the party and uh, her numbers suffered. And what you're really seeing is had there been a populist, maybe Bernie Sanders, instead of Hillary Clinton, would we be with the President Trump today? I think that's your question. Yes. Uh, I'll take it to... Yeah, I think what
2: we saw in 2016 with Hillary Clinton and people of color is that they were not inspired to vote for her. The issues weren't there. They weren't talking to them. Another thing that was happening around that time in 2015 was the Black Lives Matter movement right? The crime bill came up. And so there was a lot of feeling from particular young black voters who didn't feel that uh, the campaign was talking to them, who didn't feel that there was a place for them because of what was happening in 2015 with young black bodies being killed on the streets.
1: Let me take your point to, uh, to John Kelly. So,
4: uh, I think you have to disentangle problems with Hillary as a candidate from the question tonight, if a candidate in the future carries these ideas, will that candidate win? Whatever you think of the merits of these ideas, they're not politically popular in enough places. Jeff cited the senators who might run for president who support Medicare for all, that's true. They're all from safe blue places. Our job as a party is not to figure out how to make blue places bluer. It's how to make red places blue and purple places blue. That's our job.
3: Jeff, go ahead. Progressives have not gotten a fair shot in this party in terms of funding and other things, but what we do know is that your point of view has destroyed the party. Your free trade deal destroyed the relationship with working-class Democrats. Your call for cutting Social Security is going to kill this party. You guys represent a certain group of interests. I get it. It's cool. Like, this is a big tent party, but you cannot be the dominant voice in this party because you have no credibility with working people. When you go out and talk to real people in the real world... Wait, Wait a minute. We have no credibility with working people. So just to be clear, because
4: you and Bernie have said this many times, you said Barack Obama wasn't progressive. So widely supported by working class people, Barack Obama built an amazing coalition. In fact, I think our challenge is to rebuild the Obama coalition, the centrist Obama coalition, just to be clear, because that's actually what we have to do. Let, so let me, I don't uh, know what you mean. I, 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 I want to add some.
5: You make a point, and then I want to add something. Look, Barack Obama didn't support any of your policies virtually. He didn't support Medicare for All. He didn't support free college tuition. Force he didn't Medicare support... For all now. He,
2: that was he, 10 he, years he, ago. We're talking about 2008. Things have changed Yes, but since he got elected
1: because he And took, he
2: supports it he, now. He, he, he said he got, it.
1: All right, all right, Tim, I want to throw something into this conversation that comes from an interesting direction. The other day, there was an op-ed attacking Medicare for All. It was written by Donald Trump.
2: Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> sure. <was>. And he <laughs> said, quote, The truth is that the centrist Democratic Party is dead. And Joe Biden reacted to that. Tell Trump he should hang on. So does Trump's characterization of the party have any traction? Trump Trump is
4: saying that because his greatest fear is running against someone like Bill Clinton or Obama. That's why he thinks he'll lose. If Democrats regain the House, a third of the Democrats in the House will be self-described new Democrats. Far from the centrist Democratic wing of the party being dead, it's alive, it's well, it's robust, it's elected the last two Democrats to the White House, and I don't believe the way to win is a reprise of 1990s Democratic centrism any more than I believe a reprise of 1960s Democratic Socialism, the way to win. We're in a new era and we need something different. Are the ideas like Medicare for All put up? Is there evidence that those will win elections for Democrats? And there
1: isn't. Other side to respond, and then I'm going to go back to questions.
2: It's not just Medicare for all. There's also debt free college, there's affordable home ownership. Uh, You talked about examples of elections recently where candidates have won. Um, Connor Lamb. Pennsylvania 18, congressional district, uh, very red district. I think it had been held by a Republican for more than 10 years, if I, if I get that right. He was running on protecting Social Security. He was running on protecting Medicare and Medicaid. The issues matter as well. Now, where do you guys stand on that? Where does Third Way stand on Social Security? I think that matters because you're talking about that our issues are not going to win the day. But where are you guys on Social Security?
4: Um, protecting Social Security isn't a Sanders position or a progressive populist position. It's a position I can't really think of many Democrats who don't hold it.
1: There's a um, woman with black sweater and eyeglasses. Yes, thank you.
0: Hi, my name is Kath. I'm wondering, you mentioned the New Deal and the marginal tax rate. In order to pay for that program went from 25% up to 94%. And most other countries that have, you know, Medicare type for all, it's 70%. How will you get normal working people to be willing to pay 70% increase in taxes in order to pay for others?
3: Well, there's a recent study out. Again, on Medicare for All, let's also point out that over half of the Democratic members of the House of Representatives support Medicare for All. There's co-sponsored legislation in support of Medicare for All. So this is not a fringe idea, by the way. Uh, There was just a report which showed that, in fact, aggregate health care spending in this country would go down substantially if you had a Medicare for All system. So will people be paying more taxes? Yes. No doubt about that. You can't get around that. Will they pay less in premiums? Yes, because they won't pay any premiums. They won't pay any co-payments. They won't pay any deductibles. We're going to finally be able to get our hands around the pharmaceutical industry who's yeah. ripping off this country and charging us the highest prices in the world. So in the aggregate, our country is going to save money. It's going to be good for business. People will pay less.
1: Steve Ratner.
5: Again, this is not a debate about policy. It's a debate about politics. I do not believe if you go to half of Americans and say you're going to give up your employer-based health insurance and come on a government plan, they would think that was a great idea. But I want to make a slightly different point because the question was really about taxes. Clinton was elected in 1992. Why did he lose the House in 1994? Because Bill Clinton raised taxes, and the people did not want that. So there is a limit. To, I'm for tax increases. I said that in my opening remarks. You can raise my taxes to whatever you want, but I think it has been well proven in this country that there's a limited tolerance for raising taxes beyond a certain point, and I don't think it works politically.
1: Okay, I want to go to some more questions. Thanks.
0: Hi there, my name's Jen. Um, I have a question for each side. Um, I mean, there's always in party fighting, but there seems to be a claim of who is the true Democratic Party, and I guess... That I like. Okay.
1: Which of you is representing the true Democratic Party here tonight? <laughs>
4: No, can I answer that seriously?
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I asked the, it seriously.
4: Political, par- <laughs> political it was great. parties, the thing you're supposed to do is build a winning coalition that does not just include your side or other people. The point is, if you want to get the White House back and large, sustained Democratic majorities to do good things for the working and middle class of this country, you have to build a winning coalition. That's the math. Will they build a winning coalition? And when you look at it, they don't actually do that. Correct.
2: Man, I have such a problem with that because what we're asking for is inclusivity. What we're saying is, if you reach out, yes white working class in the middle of America absolutely matters. No one is saying we don't talk to them. We're saying like, hey, there are brown people, there are black people, there are young people that need to be reached out to. It needs to be inclusive. That's how you build a winning coalition. And it needs to be multiracial. And so for decades now, those folks that I just mentioned have felt left out. We have. We have felt left out. Now we're at a point in 2018 where we see candidates across the country in red states and blue states that are representing everyone. You have to have inclusivity. You have to include everyone. And we can't go back and just focus on one group. Can I just Sure. Quick
4: response to that. I agree yeah. 100% that you have to have a diverse coalition, and there's a lot of folks who haven't been represented well and spoken for well. The question is what ideas should those diverse group of candidates carry, and will those ideas enable you to win?
1: Sir, my name is Paul. So, for people who are skeptical, about too many government programs and being dependent on government health care and government-funded education and fearing losing their independence and freedom of choice, someone who is more moderate like me, who has left the Democratic Party and become an independent, because I don't particularly relate with a lot of these ideas,
3: how do you win me back?
1: What a great question. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, that's, that's right on the table, so, so that's one That's good. Two, On the issue of free tuition in public colleges and universities, we already have K through 12. I think we all support probably going down to pre-K. I don't know if you guys are in that camp or not. So we have an arbitrary deadline where once you get past 12th grade now, we cut you off. We didn't used to, by the way, in New York State and California and other places. You didn't used to get cut off at 12th grade. Steve doesn't want his kids getting a free ride, but if his kid shows up in first grade, he's going to get a free ride. That's just the way we work it in this country. We have universal, secondary, primary, and early education. There's no reason why we can't have it for undergraduate school or even graduate school. Our European allies, in many of the cases, do do it that way. A great loss of talent of young people who either choose not to go to school or come out of school greatly indebted, and there's research that shows that people have so much debt that they delay making major purchases, they delay getting married, they delay having kids, and a whole host of other things. If we're going to compete in the international environment, we have got to have the best trained workforce in the country. we got to maximize the human capital of our population. And that means having... People who are educated. That has a okay. great social benefit. I
1: have to wrap yeah. this section. So, Jeff made a pitch to you on, on one of the particular programs that would cost money by showing you what the benefits would be. Did you find it persuasive? You certainly found it food for thought. Okay, interesting. Um,
5: I, I'm happy to respond. All right, well, take it, Steve. Yeah. I would just say that this gentleman actually epitomizes what John and I are trying to persuade everybody about that there are a large group of people out there, some number, I don't know what, who find the policies espoused by our worthy opponents to be not what they can relate to, and therefore they have left the Democratic Party and become independents. Chances of them voting for someone from the populist wing of the party are very low. Jeff just gave, like, a really great sales pitch for one program, probably one of the more popular programs, but I would love to see him go through that whole roster of things that he and his candidates espouse. and would see love to do If he to do it can convince that gentlemen. No, not me, that gentleman... <laughs> Uh, to become a Democrat. Let me also make one other. Let me make
4: one other comment. Sanders said that Obama wasn't progressive but Obama won twice and built a historic coalition and i personally think and i know steve agrees with this did some fantastic things as president that i'm really proud of I, as a democrat yeah yeah, yeah this
3: I, really I, a, yeah. look it's really a, you guys are really setting up a straw man i mean it's ridiculous
1: I mean, on, on that note i need to say that, that concludes oh, yeah. that concludes round 2 of this yes. intelligence squared us debate oh. where our resolution is progressive populism will save the democratic party So I know all four of you have a lot more you want to say. I want to see if you can pack it into your closing statements. In support of the motion, Jeff Weaver, Senior Political Advisor to Senator Bernie Sanders.
3: Thank thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Listen, we as Democrats have a challenge. We have got to build the coalition in this country that can beat back Trumpism. We cannot allow this country to go down that very dangerous road. Today we're seeing young children locked in cages, torn from their mothers, That's only the beginning of what can happen in this country. And to do that, we have got to rally working people and marginalized people and young people, excite them and bring them into the political process. The challenge facing the Democratic Party today is going to be relevant in 10 years. Young people are overwhelmingly registering as independents. We have got to build the party of the future. We have to have bold vision. We have to have big plans to deal with big problems. These guys have had their shot. They have wrecked the party. They have destroyed the coalition that undergirded the Democratic Party for decades. And we can't let them have it back.
1: Thank you, you, Jeff Weaver. The resolution, again, progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. Here to make his closing statement against the motion, one more time, Jonathan Cowan, founder and president of Third Way.
4: On the morning of November 9th, 2016, my twin 10-year-old daughters woke at 7 a.m. And in their bright, innocent voices, they asked, Is Hillary president now? That look, the shock on their face when I said no, Donald Trump won. I don't ever want to see that again. That's why I'm here tonight. And that's why all of you are. The question is, are progressive populist ideas the way to stop Trump? Two house races this year tell the tale. In Omaha, Nebraska, Kara Eastman. A Bernie style populist is trying to win back a swing congressional seat Democrats held as recently as 2014. Kara Eastman, running passionately on Bernie's agenda, is getting crushed. She's down nine points. Meanwhile, in central Virginia, Abby Spanberger is running as a mainstream Democrat. Her Republican opponent won that seat by 16 points two years ago. Democrats haven't held this seat. In 40 years, her race is tied. We may actually flip a red seat because we ran a bold and modern centrist Democrat. Saving the Democratic Party requires winning everywhere to regain the House now and to fire Trump in 2020. We can't win general elections with a set of socialist ideas and candidates and even most Democratic primary voters just rejected. To save the nation from Trumpism, I urge
1: you to vote no. Thank you, Jonathan Cowan. The resolution, again, Progressive Populism Will Save the Democratic Party. Supporting the motion, Karine Jean-Pierre, Senior Advisor and National Spokesperson for MoveOn.org.
2: So, where I work at MoveOn, our millions of members form a big part of the Democratic base. As we listen carefully to our members, we learn about their priorities and what motivates them. And it's not centrism... It's a bold progressive vision for our future. Let me tell you about Chuck T. Chuck is a veteran who joined the army to pay for college. Now one of our move-on volunteer leaders, Chuck says progressive policies reflect the core army values instilled in him through a decade of service that he sees championing progressive policies as his second service to this country. Or think of Carmen V, a move-on member who says centrist Democrats have never inspired her to do more than vote. But she has been inspired recently to act by issues like incarceration reform and separation of immigrant families, and by progressive public officials like Beto O'Rourke and Jeff Merkley. If the Democratic Party will be saved, it will be saved by volunteers and activists like Carmen and Chuck. Progressive ideas inspire them. Activists like Carmen and Chuck will save the Democratic Party. Progressive populism is the direction of the Democratic Party.
1: Thank you, Camille Jean-Pierre. And that is the resolution, and here to make his statement against it here is Stephen Ratner, chairman and CEO of Willett Advisors and former Counselor to the Secretary of the Treasury.
5: Well, look, this has been a a great discussion. I do want to genuinely commend our opponents for their passion and their commitment to the democratic cause. it may surprise some of you, but even as a business person, I live in a world that is dominated by centrists, moderate Democrats, independents, and moderate Republicans. Not all my friends are financial types, they include lawyers, academics, journalists, public servants, and so forth. I know very few people who voted for Donald Trump last time, and even fewer who would vote for him next time. But I also know vast numbers of people who say they could never vote for someone like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, not because they're not good people, but because of their ideas. My friends simply don't believe that the policies of the far left are fiscally responsible, nor that they would improve the functioning of our economy, which for all of its challenges, which I will recognize, is still the envy of the developed world. So to me, it comes down in large measure to practical realities. Nominate someone from the fringe of our party, and we could very well end up losing an election two years from now that by all rights we should win. On the other hand, I am confident that any Democrat who can bring our party together and appeal to the tens of millions of independents would triumph and end our national nightmare.
1: Thank you, Stephen Ratner. And that concludes closing statements in round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. It's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines our winner in the first vote. Progressive populism will save the Democratic Party. Before the debate, 33% of you agreed with that statement, 40% disagreed, and 27% were undecided. In the second result, the team arguing for the motion... Their vote went from 33% down to 22%. They lost 11 percentage points. Let's see the team against the motion. Their first vote was 40%. Their second vote was 74%. They pulled up 34 percentage points. That makes them the clear winner. But thank you from me, John Donvan. Goodbye from Intelligence Squared US. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared US debate was recorded live at the K Playhouse Theatre in New York City. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. Leah Matthau is chief content officer. Amy Kraft is director of operations and production. Shea O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Aaron Dalton and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Rosencrantz Foundation, David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, the Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, the George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Selendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Rain, and Emily and Antoine Van Actmill. From me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you all very much.
2: America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours.